Welcome to the Dividend Cafe weekly market commentary focused on dividends in your portfolio and dividends in your understanding of economic life. Hello and welcome to today's COVID and Markets brought to you by the Dividend Cafe. Uh, today's Thursday and we are here at the Bonson Group to once again debrief and download on all the things in today's market action and uh, the COVID health pandemic. Um, the market was facing the possibility of five consecutive days of an increase, but sure enough, and probably you could argue kind of expectedly, uh, missed out on that opportunity. Um, the Dow ended up being down 135 points, so not not a big move. Um, at one point, though, I want to look at this. At one point, we were down close to 300 points, and so it made back more than half of that downside um, in the final one hour of trading. Um, but again, a, a small move down after um, what's been, you know, obviously a, a pretty big run here. And as I've pointed out day by day and, and written about ad nauseum and so forth, this is perhaps more noteworthy just because it has come with an ongoing um, contrast to what is being presented in the health data. And indeed, um, not only where I think there's a lot of exaggeration and sensationalism, but also where there's just plain, you know, bad news. I mean, all things being equal, I think everybody would really prefer to see the cases declining, not increasing. And even if the growth is flatlining, uh, the fact of the matter is that you have, you know, plenty of pockets in the country where hospitals are more crowded than others and IC units may be and and I think that you can definitely look at it if you're being kind of scientific and statistical and analytical, which is really my job um, by providing analysis is obviously to be analytical um, and be encouraged that the, the mortalities and deaths have not moved back to where people had feared they might. And, and even though there's obviously been a bit of an increase that it stayed relatively muted. Uh, uh, compared to the total cases and, and all that. So I don't think there's anything wrong in being encouraged by that. But obviously, there's also a discouragement in the fact that you'd prefer that nobody be sick and you prefer that nobody be dying from it. And, and, and I think that everyone's going to be in a much different position, not just economically, but kind of the emotional psyche of society when we inevitably see these cases going the other way. And I'm encouraged in some of the data to see that peaking formation coming. And I, I don't think it's going to come imminent. Um, maybe it's a week. Maybe it's, you know, two weeks. I, I think, you know, 10 days is what I'm kind of saying. And I'm talking with other analysts and, and whatnot saying the same thing. But none of us really know. I mean, the the, the scientists and epidemiologists don't know. And certainly a, uh, a, low, a lowly uh, dividend growth portfolio manager like me doesn't know. But what I am trying to do is learn from others, and I'm trying to learn from data. And so I'm going to share some things with you today, and uh, we'll and and then we'll call it quits. So as far as um, what I would consider to be a kind of contrarian framework for viewing the the health data. There's definitely these moments at which the things are, are starting to look, have looked better and, and it's uh, calm before a, a storm and, 
And inversely, I think that um, right now, even though the headline side of, you know, yet again, high reported cases in Florida and still the, the high level of hospitalizations in Texas and so forth, the truth is that there are signs of a lot of these states uh, getting ready to see those trajectories move lower. And the first thing that has to happen before the absolute number of cases is dropping is that the growth rate of the cases has to drop. And we were running at about 25% trailing average of case growth last week, and we're running now down to about 11%. So that's where some of that um, optimism will come from. Um, but, you know, cases and hospitalizations are peaking or even falling in, in a lot of states. And the goal would be that that will reflect in every state. Um, I don't know if daily deaths have peaked yet, just simply because obviously there is that lag on the mortalities from some of the more severe hospitalizations. But I think the data trending suggests it's close if, if it hasn't happened already. But the reality is that that mortality data has exhibited a level of stabilization that I think honest um, uh, sensationalists would even say is proven to be a bit lower than, than feared and, and I would argue significantly lower than feared. And so um, at this point, you know, we look to a whole lot of other factors and, and we recognize that there's a lot we don't know and where all this could go. Um, but, but, but what else do I want to share before we get into nitty gritty here? The, um, that hospitalizations are eight times more frequent for people over the age of 65 than that age 20 to 35 demographic. That's a universally accepted data point um, that one could verify at CDC and, and HHS and, and a number of different uh, resources. And of course, your own intuition would tell you it makes a lot of sense. So then you say, okay, well, well, if there's eight times more likelihood of a hospitalization at that older demographic versus the younger, then what is the hospitalization demographics? Who's getting hospital, uh, excuse me, who's getting sick? So we can sort of forecast who's going to be hospitalized and we continue to see that trend line running much younger. And, and that is obviously a good thing in the sense of, while I'm not uh, obviously rooting for 24-year-olds to get COVID, I, I do believe that it, everybody has to acknowledge that, that uh, from a macro standpoint, higher um, median age is far more concerning than a lower median age. Uh, and again, those reasons should be, should be obvious. Um, the other piece that took me a little while to digest today, because I am just not good at reading really deep dive, and I'm talking like peer-reviewed research from scientific community, I'm trying to make those things available to readers and listeners of ours when they're interested. And, and so University of Oxford, just today, I guess they published it yesterday. It, it was posted today, though, or I would have seen it last night. Um, but, you know, the University of Oxford is not an outlier in the scientific community. They're not fringe. They're, they're not, I mean, this is a, a pretty potent and, and pretty credible and respected research team from Oxford that has done a significant amount of analysis and laid out the basis for the premises that lead to their conclusion. Um, but on that herd immunity threshold subject, a major priority needs to be determining what the herd immunity threshold is 
and their uh, belief that, um, the, I'll, I'll quote this here, the seropositivity measures of 10 to 20% are entirely compatible with local levels of immunity having approached or even exceeded the herd immunity threshold, in which case the risk and scale of resurgence is lower than currently perceived. And so what they're apparently suggesting is that the 10 to 20% number it may even be a bit high, but certainly within that range. So I'm encouraged by that. Uh, I don't believe it's a foregone conclusion. I don't think anyone knows, but you know, there's an awful lot of data, including data I'm going to uh, have for you at covidandmarkets.com that helps to sort of back up this idea that herd immunity um, is, is not as far away as many have feared. So uh, we want to be able to call a peak in daily deaths. We, we hope to be able to do that uh, very soon for all the right reasons. I do believe cases have peaked in Arizona and California. Um, Florida had a big case growth report today, but again, as I look under the hood, um, as much as 5,000 names are backlogged, um, on their, uh, daily death count. They continue to have a very low number of daily deaths, but what is pushing it higher. And when I say higher, it's still, you know, a hundred to 150, not, not a uh, thousand to 1500. But my point being, um, Many of these, uh, well, the vast majority, it's not just many, are backward. And, of course, there is, um, you know, the understandable nature of catching up with the data. But I, I think that breaking out the difference between date of death and reported is a big deal in a state like Florida. Uh, so let me kind of move it on a little bit. There is some of the most valuable stuff at COVIDmarkets.com today uh, relates to both Sweden and, and Japan. Um, I fell asleep last night reading a piece about Japan that I, I'm just kind of shocked how much was in there that I didn't know. And, and I still don't know because no one else does either. The answers as to why and how. What we do know is that there's some inconvenient truths because you have some people in our country that are real, you know, uh, hostile about masking. And, and Japan's had an incredibly good fortune, very, very low cases, very, very low mortalities. And they're um, very, very pro-masking in their culture. Um, but then there's also a, a group that's really, really pro-lockdown and just shelter in place forever and everyone stay inside until we figure it all out. And, and Japan never went to that whole compulsory lockdown. And even their kind of encouraged and voluntary lockdown didn't last really that long. And, you know, you're talking about a country with 125 million people in the city of Tokyo has 37 million people. I'm sitting here in Manhattan, which I consider to be the biggest city in the world. And Tokyo trumps Manhattan, you know, four or five times over and is more dense, which is hard to believe a higher density could even exist. And obviously Japan is a much more aged and elderly population. And yet their highest day back in April was 90 mortalities. And they've had one or two or zero across the whole country in recent days. And so it, it is that the fact that are, are there behavioral things? Are there biological things? Are there cultural things that play in? Maybe it's a combination, but I think it's imperative that people get a better understanding of some of these countries have had a great success 
Taiwan, Japan, um, so that policy decisions are made that do impact the economy, they do impact human life and human health, um, and, and we can try to make the best decisions possible going forward. That's all anybody can want. Um, the other piece is Sweden. I think that putting New York and Sweden against each other uh, or on top of each other is a better way to put it. Not to show how much worse New York had it back in, in April and that kind of mountain of, of um, deaths that we know New York tragically had, a huge amount of nursing homes, where Sweden had uh, an increase in deaths during the peak times of COVID, but obviously much less. But then it's more to me about where we are now. And you see the higher cases that um, Sweden has gone through than New York in June, July, and yet the exact same um, deaths. And then now even the cases have, have kind of gotten to the same level. And I do believe that for my non-medical, non-scientific training, there has to be some uh, openness to counter explanations, multiple explanations, but the convergence patterns, despite totally different mitigation strategies, I do think is anecdotally supportive of a herd immunity concept. Um, so Japan, Sweden, a lot to learn from in the, in the numbers today. Um, uh, and the fact charts as we go through Florida, Arizona, California, Texas, um, one of the things I wanted to bring up with um, uh, Arizona real quick is that the hospitalizations by their um, case date and then by the discharge and then looking at the kind of growth rate of those that were inpatient for COVID, those that were in ICU for COVID, and then what the actual census said of total inpatients and total ICU and the growth rate along the way, going all the way back to late May, um, it really does speak to a significant, yes, increase in cases, but minimal hospitalization growth, minimal ICU growth relative to cases. And then now when you get a discharge rate um, as high as they're getting, we hope to see some real empirical evidence of that turn in Arizona. Uh, in terms of Texas, a very bizarre thing today, 3,484 cases, which is obviously a pretty significant number, have to be uh, unclassified um, as a positive test result. Uh, some of them never tested at all. Some of them were antigen tests. Um, which, which the CDC only can classify as probable, not an actual test, but they got lumped in with the, the, the PCR test or whatever. But my point being, which is the one that we look to for the, the confirmed positive cases, I think that um, what you have here is just a, it kind of forces a question uh, of where else there may be kind of these data issues uh, 3,484 cases, a lot of cases, and it's all from the San Antonio Health Department. And, and so it could potentially be happening. We know already Florida start, struggle with the same issue. Um, it could really speak to a significant 
uh, data reporting problem in other counties and perhaps other states as well. But either way, we know that uh, Texas continues to be um, at a higher number on hospitalization, higher number on ICU. It's a very different story in select counties. And so we look forward to um, what we pray will be uh, uh, a health improvement that allows discharges from hospitals at a faster rate than new admissions. And you get that bent and you get the right mitigation in place and then you get the right um, defenses against the virus and, and so forth. So that's where we are. Um, again, please go to covidomarkets.com. There's a lot more there that I'm going to be able to cover here on the podcast. Market technicals, the breadth in small cap yesterday. I uh, remember we had a big rally day and you had nine advancers for every one decliner, um, which is the strongest we've seen in over two months now in the Russell 2000. Uh, it's outperformance of the S&P in recent days is a couple standard deviations more than normal. Very uh, uncommon. Be interesting to see you have one of the major S&P big tech kind of names who reported after hours today and is down over 10%. Uh, so some of those big tech names that have been struggling a bit uh, will play into those broader markets. And then that equal weighted S&P and that, that Russell 2000 and some of those other broad market indices that are not as reliant on four or five or six big tech names could very well end up giving a different story into the market tape. Um, on the public policy side, I really do want to be able to cover more what we're expecting to see with um, with uh, the the stimulus 4.0. But the fact of the matter is that there's not a lot of great meat on the bone. Um, we know broadly what each side's looking for, and it sure seems in the public square like they're pretty far apart. Um, there's also this kind of assumption that they're going to end up bridging it. So I've put together a couple things that kind of, you know, give you evidence of what each side's looking for, give you indication of what each side's looking for. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when you look at oil, uh, again, right around 41 kind of stayed there throughout the day. Um, there, there's talk about a, a supply surge, but Iraq seems to be the, the major player helping out that even if Saudi and Russia come off a little bit in some of their really heavy cuts, that Iraq would slash their exports even more. And that's what's really coming out of these OPEC plus meetings, keeping oil around the $41 mark. Um, but, but, but housing delinquencies are increasing. We expect that. Uh, you know, the, the mortgage back market looks very, very healthy. Uh, spreads have tightened a lot in residential mortgage back. So clearly those delinquencies are not slipping over into concern in the mortgage pools. Um, and, and the problem is it's very hard to evaluate the delinquencies where there may be cross-pollination in the data with uh, the forbearances that were allowed by the CARES Act. And, and so you don't really have a clear idea as to who's delinquent because they're facing economic hardship and don't want to make a mortgage payment. Um, and who's delinquent because Congress gave them permission to be delinquent. Uh, regardless, um, we know of the distress that the forbearances have put in. That has to be counteracted then against this high demand for um, uh, new housing and, and the very low cost of capital making it all possible. Um, so I'm going to leave it there. I think I've covered enough things. I really do want you to go to markets.com. 
I really want you to reach out to us if you have any questions. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow's Dividend Cafe, the weekly market commentary we do every Friday. Um, I've already written a good portion of it, and I'm really excited for some of the things that we cover at uh, the Dividend Cafe. So please um, reach out to us with any questions, COVID at thebonsongroup.com. We're happy to answer your questions, and we look forward to talking again soon. Thank you for listening to the COVID and Markets podcast brought to you by the Bonson Group's Dividend Cafe. The Bonson Group is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free risk. There is no guarantee that the investment process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The Bonser Group and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the Bonson Group and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for any related questions.